0: Going back to our series on the Book of Romans called A Great God, Amazing Salvation. Now, in the first part, we took a few months to look at the first 11 chapters of Romans, and we took a long, hard look at the gospel because we wanted to make sure we grasp more than just a superficial understanding. Why spend such a long time there? Because the Apostle Paul says the gospel is not some lame, weak message that you believe and then just move on with your life. Rather, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, for the renewal of your life, for the recreation of this world. Through the gospel, God changes us for good, eternal good. We who were once condemned to die, now there's no more condemnation. We were once guilty beyond a doubt, but now we have been justified thoroughly. We were once addicts, slaves to our own desires, but now we have life in the Spirit. That is good news. And so in the first 11 chapters, Paul has been trying to convince our minds about this gospel. And now from chapter 12 onwards, Paul moves to nail that gospel into every aspect of our lives, to our attitudes, to our relationships, to the way we live our lives. And so, Paul is saying from chapter 12 onwards that once the gospel grabs hold of your life, this is how it changes you. This is what a gospel-shaped life looks like. So, chapter 12 onwards give, gives us these practical handles to help drive the gospel deeper into our lives. And last week, we looked at the first two verses of that, Romans 12:1 to 2 to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. If remember, Pastor Nathan tells us about the story of Matthew and Pete, about how, in view of God's mercy, this should change the way we live. Now, if you didn't hear the message last week, don't worry, you're going to be fine, because the passage this week, verses 3 to 8, is a specific application to those first two verses. And that is, one way to be a living sacrifice to God is by the way Christians are using our gifts. See, here's what Paul says in verses 3 to 8. Let me read that for you. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So right here near the very end, Paul gives us a list of gifts, a list of uh, gifts that God has given us, ministry abilities that we can do better and more naturally than most other things. And Paul says, as believers who have been changed by the gospel, we use those gifts in a distinct way in a unique way that the gospel allows us to do so let's talk about that let's talk about using our gifts first of all let's talk about the wrong way that people might use their gifts and then let's talk about the way to renew our minds so that we can do the right way in using our gifts in other words if you remember romans 1-2 don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewal of your minds so that you can present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So let's look at that. Number one, what is the wrong way to use our gifts? Now, when you think about wrong ways of using your gifts, there are some very obvious ways, right? For instance, we think of people who are gifted in leadership, and it's wrong for them to use that gift to exploit people, right? Or if you're gifted in making money, it's wrong to spend all that money just on yourself, right? We, those are obviously wrong ways because it's selfish, it's manipulative. We all know that's wrong. You don't have to believe in the gospel to see that that is a wrong way to use your gifts. Well then, what makes the Christian different? Because obviously there's a reason why Paul says, christians don't just conform to what the world agrees is right or wrong but christians behave in an entirely new way well what's that well how is that different the clue is in verse 3. paul says in verse 3 not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think neither should you think too lowly of yourself but to think of yourself with sober judgment paul says you want you have a accurate view of yourself. Not too high, not too low. The accurate view of yourself. Now, what does that have to do with our gifts? Well, everyone has a self-image. And it's usually based on something we achieve, something with to do with our efforts, right? There's a standard that we want to reach in order to say that I'm worthy, that I that I validate my own existence. Right, You decide, I'm worthy because I do this or I am this kind of person. For example, if you're the kind of person who bases your self-image based on how smart you are, when you enter a room and you're the smartest guy in the room, well, then you, you feel great about yourself. You're confident, you can look people in the eyes, you might feel superior. But the minute you realize, wait a minute, I'm the dumbest guy in the room, well, then you feel terrible about yourself. You feel unsure, you're insecure, and you just feel bad about yourself. You have a low view of yourself. See, all of us have a self-image based on our achievements, based on the way we achieve with our gifts. You say, I'm the smart guy, or you know, I'm the nice guy, I'm, I'm, I'm the rich guy, I'm the funny guy, I'm the successful guy. See, we use our gifts to build up how we view ourselves. We use our gifts to define our identity. Now, the problem with any kind of identity that is built on achieving something with our gifts is that it's always based on how you compare with other people. It's not enough that I'm smart, I need to be smarter than the other person, see? How you view yourself is always in comparison to your being better than other people. And utterly dangerous, utterly dangerous, because if you do succeed and you are better than other people, well then, you quickly become arrogant. It's very easy to look down on other people and your your self-image balloons to a large ego. But then if you fail, what happens? Your self-image just, just withers, absolutely lifeless. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, if you succeed, it goes to your head. If you fail, it goes to your heart. See, as long as we base our identity, our self-image, based on something we achieve with our gifts, then it's all, always dangerous. Not only that, it also means we're going to keep using our gifts with an ulterior motive. There's always something hidden there. There's some hidden agenda. See, maybe you use your gifts to serve the poor or to serve the church, but really, what's the driving motive behind all that? Is it really for them? Is it really for God? Or is it really about me? See, I may be using my gifts because I want to achieve something, because I want to become a certain kind of person, because I want to do certain good things so that I can feel great about myself, so that I can feel high about myself and feel confident and feel worthy as a person. In other words, the people who benefited from my gifts, they just happen to be the means to my selfish ends. And that is ultimately using your gifts in a selfish way, in a manipulative way. It's wrong, and you're going to become more and more self-centered as a person. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be. Don't use your gifts that way. Christians, you have a unique access to an identity that gives you sober judgment so that you can use your gifts in the right way. What is that? How do you do that? Well, that's number two. What's the right way? Well, What's the way to renew your minds? Now, Paul says, each of us should think with sober judgment. How? He says, to think according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, the best way to understand that phrase, as most scholars I trust say, the best way to understand that is it's not different measurements for each person, rather it's there's a measurement that's a norm for all people. It's the same yardstick that you use to measure all people. Well, what's the yardstick? What's the norm of faith for all people? It's the gospel. Paul is saying, Christians, don't measure yourself using the standards of this world. Rather, measure yourself with the gospel. See, in the gospel, God says you're a sinner and you deserve to be lost. And therefore, you should never be overconfident or arrogant or condescending. You were lost. But at the same time, the gospel says you're completely loved. You're wanted. You're valued because of what Jesus has done for you. And therefore, you should never be underconfident. You should never hate yourself. You should never indulge in self-pity in both cases, we're not listening to the gospel. See, the gospel both humbles us to the ground, and so we can't be overconfident, but it lifts us up to the skies, and so we can't be underconfident. The gospel is the key for us to have a sober judgment, to have an accurate view of ourselves. You know, there's this one episode in the series called Black Mirror, maybe you've heard of it, there's this, there's this one episode and, the, and this, the background of that episode is that every person now has ratings, like you would rate in a hotel from one star to five star, right? But, but this time, every person has a personal rating. And each person can rate one another. So I can give you five stars, you can give me one star. And what makes all this possible is that there is a built-in microchip inside our eyes. So that when I see you, I see your rating and I can give you a rating right on the spot and vice versa. Now, because of this, all the people in that show have their lives revolving around this rating system, right? Whenever you interact with a person, you're always thinking and calculating what can I say, what can I do to make this person like me and respect me so that they can give me a higher rating. Now, the main character, Lacey, unfortunately, she gets into a series of bad events and her ratings keep dropping and dropping and dropping. And as her ratings drop, she keeps more she gets more and more anxious, more and more upset, she gets more and more, you know, desperate, going to extraordinary lengths to get her ratings back up. But she keeps failing, she keeps failing, she keeps failing, and at the end of the episode, she hits rock bottom. She's arrested by the authorities, and the authorities Take out the built in microchip inside her. She's lost that privilege. And so, and then she's put into prison. And we last see Lacey in this episode inside a prison cell. And she can't see any more ratings. And yet, she's visibly more relaxed. She's more at ease with herself. She's saying things and doing things without always worrying about how the other person would perceive it. She's freer than she ever was outside the prison see all of us also have a kind of built-in chip inside us right it's that inner voice giving us ratings based on how we achieve based on how smart we are how funny we are how, how how much success we have it's that inner voice always giving us ratings and as long as that chip runs your life you're never going to be happy you're never going to be really free. See, Paul is saying, don't let that chip run your life. Rather, let God remove that chip and replace it with the gospel. Replace it with the gospel. Measure yourself, not according to the ratings of the world, not, according to, not, according to, not even according to what I feel about myself, but according to what God says about me in the gospel. See, you have to let the gospel decentralize all the other voices from the center. Push it out to the periphery. Push it out to the side. Let it go to the background. And rather, let God's voice become front and center. Let God's voice in the gospel become crisp and clear and loud right near your heart. That means you have to let the gospel become the basis of your self-image. Let God define who you are. Let God say your worth. Not the ratings, not your feelings, not your achievements, not your gifts. God alone says what you're worth, what you ought to do, how you should view yourself. See, if you're becoming arrogant, you're becoming proud, you're becoming too overconfident, it's because you're listening more to the other voices, maybe to the voices of other people, praising you, to yourself, complimenting yourself. You're listening to those voices more than you're listening to God's voice who says you're a sinner. There's the reality of your sins. You're rock bottom. But on the other hand, if you're the kind of person who keeps on indulging in self-pity, Who's underconfident and insecure and you hate yourself? It's because you're listening to the voices, to the other voices more than you're listening to God's voice. Who says you're loved, you're worthy because of what Jesus has done. See, whether it's overconfidence or underconfidence in both cases, it's because we're listening to other voices more than we're listening to God's voice. We're not taking him seriously enough. We're not listening enough to what God says in the gospel. Years ago, I was a very insecure person, always unsure of myself, always looking to other people to compliment me, to make me feel better. And, you know, this became a real problem when I started preaching in the youth service before. You know, there were days when I preached well, and lots of people would come to me and compliment me for some kind of gift or some kind of blessing that they had because of my preaching, and I was absolutely happy. But then there were days, you know, my preaching just stinked, and I saw some people sleeping, some people texting while I was preaching, and I I, I felt terrible about myself. I doubted myself, so I, I overworked to compensate. And I would compare myself with other people, and sometimes I might even criticize other people, to make myself feel better. you know they're they're worse than me. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit would convict me of my sins and I would repent in prayer. But the fact is, I would return again and again to that destructive pattern in my life. And over time, God made me realize that I was trying to build an an image of myself based on being a good, wise preacher. And once I realized that, a trusted mentor told me that I had to start reshaping my mind according to what the gospel says. And so from that point on, I started to meditate just a few moments every day, every morning. I would just spend a few moments meditating on the gospel, taking God seriously with what he says. And then right before I preach, and then right after I preach, I would go back again to the gospel. I would remind myself what it says, and I would tell myself, Look, Jared, you might preach great. You might absolutely stink. So what? It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with what Jesus has done for me. God's deep love for me is already true and will always be true. Before I preach, during I preach, after I preach, even if I never preach at all, God's deep love is true. And so you can relax, you can, you can, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Because God loves you already. He knows you fully, all your sins, all your flaws, all your mistakes, all your imperfections. God loves you. And that simple discipline of reminding myself, of reflecting on what God's voice is telling me, that simple discipline gave me the strength to stop listening to that inner voice, to that built-in microchip inside me, trying to give me ratings, trying to make me feel good or bad based on my preaching. I stopped listening to that. And don't get me wrong, I'm, just, I'm also a human. I'm still flawed. The voices are still there. It's trying to drag me back into this rating system. But every time I go back to the gospel, all those other voices, fade into the background and God's voice become crisp and clear again. And it frees me. It absolutely frees me. Over time, God has slowly been renewing my mind, changing the way I view myself, changing where, I, where, where I'm getting my self-image, changing the way I view my gifts, my preaching, changing everything about it in profound ways. And I've never been freer in my life. Never been freer in my life. I don't need to be a great preacher just to feel, so that I can feel great about myself. No. God's grace is sufficient for me. And because of that, I'm now much more free in the way I use my gifts. And the way I'm using my gifts now is not suffocating. It's not, it's an, it's not anxiety building in me. Rather, it's liberating. It's life-giving to me. Because the gospel has decentralized all the other voices. And God's voice of grace and truth in my life is crisp and clear. Do that. And you'll be able to use your gifts the right way. See, when the gospel when you keep the gospel close to your heart at all times, it humbles you, and yet it makes you confident. And therefore, you can use your gifts humbly and yet confidently. See, on the one hand, it allows you to use your gifts humbly. Paul says in verse four to five about the church being one body, about how we are members one of another, and how every believer with different gifts different personalities different backgrounds each of us different and yet each of us forming one body how we need each other how we enhance each other how we support one another how we make each other better it's a beautiful picture of what the church can be when believers come together as one body and yet you know the reality if you just look a little bit closer inside churches. Why is it it's full of jealousy and comparison and criticizing and and complaining and disunity in general? Why? The answer, of course, is pride. We think too highly of ourselves. That's why we think too lowly of others. Pride makes us focus in on our gifts and then use that to compare the other person's weaknesses. And then pride makes us forget that I, by myself, I'm a, I'm a rock-bottom sinner. I'm not self-sufficient. I need other people to help me in my life. Pride makes me forget I'm one body part among the whole body, right? And so it makes me criticize, it makes me jealous, it makes me offended when I'm ignored. But when the gospel is kept close to our hearts, it melts. It melts the ego. It humbles us to the ground. Because for all my gifts, for all my efforts, it does absolutely nothing, nothing to solve the problem of my sins. Nothing. And that should humble me to the ground, absolutely humble me to the ground. It should melt my egos. And when that happens, do you see, it allows me now to look at other people not to compare, not to criticize, but to be able to appreciate the gifts that they contribute, that they use, that, that, are, that I need to survive spiritually in this life, that I need them just as they, they need me. We are members one of another. And so, see, when the gospel, when that gospel of humility, defines the way I use my gifts, then I can offer my gifts to the church, to other people, humbly. You know, I offer up my gifts, I serve them with my gifts, and I don't expect applause. I don't expect praises as if I'm some special person. When I serve them, I don't expect immediate results, no. It's not as if they they should change, and it's their fault if they don't change because of my great gift. I don't expect immediate results. I'm not the person they need. I'm the answer to all their problems. I'm just one body part among the whole body. And so I can offer my gifts humbly without expecting, without without ending up in disillusionment and disappointment. I can offer it humbly to serve others. See, if I'm overworking, or if I'm just a tiny bit disappointed because I'm not the person that God invited, I'm the person people approach for their problems. If that's the case, it's because I have not let the gospel decentralize that voice. I'm still building up an identity for myself based on, how, on my gifts and my, and my specialties. Let the gospel melt us, melt our egos, so we can offer our gifts humbly, on the one hand. On the other hand, the gospel should help us use our gifts confidently. See, here in verse 6 to 8, Paul gives us a list of gifts. There's leadership, there's generosity, and all these other gifts. Now, these are mystical abilities. Notice the unspoken assumption is that everyone has a gift. Everyone has at least one gift. Paul says, Having gifts that differ. God has given everyone at least one gift. There's at least one thing that you can do better than most other things. And then Paul says, let us use them. Let us use them. That means every Christian has been equipped by God and called by God to serve people with the gifts that God has given them. And therefore, there should be no passive Christians. There should be no Christians who who, who come to church just to recharge their batteries for the rest of the week. There should be no Christians like that. Jesus said, I have come not to be served, but to serve. You can't be a follower of Christ and come to church expecting to be served and not expect to serve. You, can't, you just can't be. That's not what a Christian is. And what a Christian means is that you answer God's call to serve others with your gifts, to serve, and to serve confidently. Now, the reason I say to serve confidently is because there's something about our culture that always tries to make us shy away or to escape that commitment to serve other people. You know, maybe it's it's that something in our culture that makes us, you know, want to avoid being called Kegao or nagmamagaling, right? We, we don't want to be called like that. Or perhaps it's the fact that our culture trains us to be consumers, trains us on the one hand to be always criticizing the person doing it as if we know it better. And yet, on the other hand, it's training us to not be producers, not be the ones doing it, but rather to escape and say, you know, I can't do it. Let's see, if you're letting that culture stop you from serving, if you're letting your insecurities and your fears stop you from serving, then it's because you're not yet listening to the gospel. You're not letting God's voice become front and center in your life. You're not taking him seriously enough. See, if you really keep the gospel close to you, it should give you a gospel confidence to confidently serve, to confidently offer yourselves to other people. Not because you think you're so great, not because you found something that you can offer in other people. No, it's because you found something in God that his grace is enough to work even through me. So you offer yourselves up confidently to other people. That's what it means to live by faith. You're not not letting your feelings of inadequacy stop you from serving. You're letting God's promise, God's spirit, compel you to go out and serve other people with confidence in Him. Stop to think for a moment. Can you imagine? What if the churches of this city were filled with believers whose egos have been melted and whose fears have been quieted by the gospel? Can you imagine a whole movement of believers who are using their distinct gifts to serve one another, to nurture, to cultivate life in this city? Can you imagine just how beautiful that would be? How we as one body in this city, Is serving and loving and using our gifts to bless and be blessed. That would truly lead to a flourishing kingdom of God here. And it is in this way that we can offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, pleasing to Him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we're grateful for your grace, abundant grace, sufficient for our flaws and weaknesses, our fears and our egos. Lord, I pray, we pray, that you humble us. Humble us, Father. And at the same time, Lord, we pray that you make us confident in you. Help us be fearless. Help us have courage. Help us be bold in using whatever gifts you've given us to help other people, to serve other people, to build other people up. Father, I pray that our self-image, the way we view ourselves, would be shaped more and more by what you say and by what you did through Jesus Christ. Lord, let not other voices define us, not the world, not my feelings, not my achievements, not my gifts, but by what you say and by what you did through Jesus Christ. Let that be the central voice in my life, Father. We pray that our church would find our gifts more and more, not to be sources of jealousy and comparison and criticism, but rather to let those gifts become sources of joy and peace and unity in our church father let it be so and mobilize us lord out there to use our gifts for your kingdom we thank you father we thank you for such privilege for such blessing for such a mission that you've given us and for equipping us to do so we pray that your spirit would be with us and fill us with your spirit as we do- go out thank you lord we praise and thank you, Lord, for all your grace and gift toward us. Pray this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to our online worship. This concludes our worship service here. God bless you and have a great week ahead.